You've selected a show from the Podcast Jukebox, a DIY podcast network. Disability After Dark with Andrew Gerza. The podcast shining a bright light on disability, sexuality, and everything in between. Content warning. The language, content, and discussion found within this episode of Disability After Dark will be explicit. Listener discretion advised. Hello, hello, friends. Welcome to the show, friends. My name is Andrew Gerza. I am your disabled dandy, your disabled dick smith, your number one queer cripple. I am all those things. And welcome to Disability After Dark the podcast shining a bright light on disability, sexuality, and everything in between. What you're listening to today is a bonus episode. A bunch of bonus episodes, actually, Well, that I'm going to start be... that I'm going to... let me try again. I am going to start producing bonus episodes called Quarantine and Chill, because right now, upon this recording, we are in the middle of a global pandemic with COVID-19. And I thought it was important as a disabled person to uplift the voices of other disabled and immunocompromised people going through this pandemic as a disability-themed podcast. I thought it was my responsibility to do that. And I wanted to bring this to you. I don't even know what this is. It's just a series that I thought about doing. And I just wanted to bring people together. So you heard yesterday... Quarantine and Chill Part 1 with my best friend, Anthony McAuliffe. And today, Friday, you will hear Part 2. I want to give you as much content as possible during these trying times because I feel like it's always nice to have somebody you know and something you recognize to listen to. And so I just thought that it's really important to uplift the voices of disabled people during this weird pandemic we're in and all this stuff with COVID-19. Particularly, I want to talk to disabled people who who are worried about accessibility, worried about their health, worried about how they will be impacted by COVID-19 because of ableism and because of all these things. And so I want to bring a bunch of disabled people together for this series called Quarantine and Chill. So this is episode two. We're going to meet my friend Sarah Schwegel as we talk about her experience with spinal muscular atrophy type 2, working for the largest, or the longest running, rather, independent living center in America called Para, I can't, I don't have it in front of me, but it's Para something, she'll, she'll tell you in the episode, but it's, it's really, really awesome to talk with her, we talk about what she's afraid about, we talk about her experience social distancing, we talk about the impact this has on her family as her mom becomes her primary caregiver. All this stuff is explored in this episode. And so sit back, relax, get comfy, cozy, and quarantined, and get ready for Quarantine and Chill, episode two, with my friend Sarah Schwegel, right now on Disability After Dark. Also, oh yeah, the audio, the somebody knocked on my door halfway through so I had to cut it and then restart and I'm a shitty editor so this is authentic realness this is why I'm an award nominated podcast because I don't know how to edit shit so 
you'll hear me restart the interview halfway through, but it's cool. No worries. But now, on to the episode. Sarah Schwegel, hello. Hey. Hey, so nice to have you on Disability After Dark in this weird pandemic-y time we're in. Hey. Yeah, this is absolutely wild. Thank you so much for having me, though. Thank you for being one of the first people that reached out and was like, I love this idea for quarantine and chill. I want to be on your show. What do I do to do that? So I was like, yes, please, because I followed your social media for a while now. So I'm glad we could finally come together. Yeah, this is so exciting. Awesome. So usually what I like to do with a guest is I like for them to introduce themselves, tell us kind of who you are and what you do, and maybe your pronouns. Yeah, so um, my name is Sarah Schwegel. I am the public policy and advocacy specialist at Paraquad, which is one of the oldest centers for independent living in um, America, and I absolutely love it. Um, my pronouns are she, her, hers, and um, I play power soccer. That's a fun fact about me. Wow, and, I didn't uh, know that power soccer was a thing people could do. Oh my gosh, yes. It's so much fun. I will send you some links. Please, yes. I don't, I didn't even, I, I know that power hockey is a thing. I've seen wheelchair basketball, but I've never seen power soccer. Wow. Oh, it's real cool. Okay, let's just do a sidebar before we do anything else because I want to understand. So, like, so, like, power soccer, are you holding the ball and just, like, what, how do you, how does now, that work? Yes. So, you get in a chair, um, the official chairs are called Strike Forces, and they are super low to the ground. They're built on robot batteries and motors. They don't have brakes. They go 6.5 mile, or 6.2 miles an hour. Um, you play with a 13-inch ball, um, four players to a team on the court at a time. There's a goalie, a center, and two wings, and it follows as many rules of able-bodied soccer as possible. Um, but you do play on a basketball court. Um, your goal is 19 feet wide. Um, and I was the goalie for my team, which is um, the St. Louis Dassa Scott Gallagher Cyclones um, for about mm, 10 years. I just switched to being um, a wing, wing because I'm trying to coach and play at the same time. That's awesome and a lot of sports terminology that I'll never remember, but I'm really happy that, uh, that that's out there. Also, there was a lot of, like, really sexy terminology, like, strike force in there. Like, yes. and, and, like, what else did you say? You said, like, strike force and, like, 13-inch balls. There's so, yeah. many, so many jokes that I wanted to make that I was like, nope, can't make that joke. So many. There are so many jokes. It's awesome. I'm one of two girls on our team and the guys just like they have a little bit too much fun with it sometimes but uh, that's okay i would i would be the the player that was like oh i'm supposed to do things sorry i was making jokes about how funny this is i mean like for what it's worth i also make a fair amount of jokes so it's it's fine <laughs> I, yeah i i definitely i can i can tell your sense of humor is pretty pretty good there thanks um so Let's move into what is your disability and how does it affect your everyday life? So I have spinal muscular atrophy, um, which means I use a power chair for all mobility. And um, I have attendants that help me with 
pretty much every single activity of daily living. So if you do it in the morning or any time throughout the day independently, I probably can't do it. Um, so, Me too, though. Me too. Yep. Um, so I have about four hours a day of consumer-directed services attendance and then 12 hours of nursing services. And then the rest of it, I just private pay or rely on friends or coworkers to help me with. Wow. So tell me kind of like, because <clears throat> I, I, I have a friend with SMA. Do you have SMA type 2? Yep. Yeah, my, so this is my friend. Um, who, weirdly enough, I just recorded the first episode of Quarantine and Chill with, like, the other day. So it's really weird that we're talking right now, too. Um, Heck yeah. Um, so tell me about, a little bit about, in other, like, more specifically than just, like, if an able-bodied person can do it, I can't do it. Like, in, in what other ways does, like, your disability affect your everyday life? Yep. So I cannot get out of bed. I can't brush my teeth. I can't brush my hair. can't go to the bathroom need help prepping meals, need help getting dressed, um, I've already said that, need help with, gosh, putting my shoes on, um, driving a car, can't do that. Um, Me neither, hey. Yeah, I love, love not driving. It's really nice to have other people drive me around because I can nap, but also it, transportation is such a pain. Yeah, I agree, I totally agree with you. It's also really hard when someone else is, is driving you, and because we don't drive, and this might not be the same for you, but because I don't drive, I don't, I'm not really good with directions or like how to get to where because I don't drive. So it's like I don't know. I don't know. It's down yep. a street. I don't know how to get there. <laughs> yeah, I'll read like the Google Maps and I'll be like, I don't know. I'm just literally just reading you what is on the Google Map. I cannot help you any further. Yeah, I have no idea how to assist you here. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, um, I also, I'm like have a little bit of dyslexia, so like can't do the right or left. Um, I can't do north or south, so I fully understand the. Pro- I get. I, yeah, I understand completely. Yeah, it's it's rough. Um. So one of the things that I've that, that you wanted to mention in your activism that I've seen on your social media a lot, and that I kind of wanted to hear more about because I I'm always just really curious. So what is one of the things? Sorry, that did not. That was not the question I wrote down. One of the things you do in your activism is called Sarah sits. Can you tell me more about that and what that's all about? Yeah. So Sarah Sits is um, a Facebook and Instagram page um, with the handle of Sarah Sits on a Toilet. And it really is to bring awareness to bathroom accessibility and just like other accessibility issues. Um, I've always kind of had a thing for accessible bathrooms. I actually wrote my college entrance essays about about bathrooms wow Um, yeah so it felt really natural for me like once I had a fair amount of followers on my personal account to kind of switch over and like create this um, bathroom advocacy page Um, something I used to do for work was um, help disabled high school age students um, navigate the transition from high school to college and then choosing a career. So we would visit a lot of corporations in the St. Louis area. And um, I was going to the bathroom at all of these organizations that were supposedly really welcoming to people with disabilities. And, um, you know, while they had great policies in place, their bathrooms were really questionable. 
So I was like, man, I am going to so many different places. I just need to make an Instagram account. And I really didn't think it would take off quite as well as it has. Um, but it, it really just started kind of as a joke with me and my friends. But it's really fun to talk about like accessibility issues and like how places can make their restrooms better or if a restroom is really great to be able to compliment a business or organization. This is like such an important issue because I, I totally agree with you. There's so, there's such a lack of like proper accessible bathrooms. Yeah, sure. Maybe the, maybe the room is big enough and yeah, sure. That's nice. But like what else, what other things have you done to make the bathroom more accessible? Right. Like I love when I go to places that have a adult size changing table, um, that have like, sinks that I can actually reach. I think um, at the Fox Theater, which is our theater here in St. Louis, recently I used their accessible bathroom and I could actually wash my hands. It was wild. I was like, I've never been able to wash my hands in public before. Um, wow, I've never been able to wash my hands in public or private before, so you that's <laughs> one about me for sure. Yeah, so that was really exciting. And just like whenever places think about you know, let's add a power door to the restroom or just... All Wouldn't that be fucking stuff. great if more places were like, yeah, let's put a power door, let's put a, let's put some power in on the door. I never see that. and It's so infuriating. Yeah. So it's a lot of places have actually started doing it here um, in St. Louis. My college started doing it. That was probably about five or six years ago when they put that in and I was like, this is revolutionary. Everywhere needs to do this. And now, like, I work at a center for independent living, so almost every single bathroom I use at work has a power door attached to it. But it's just so nice. It's, 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 well, it's vital. What are some other things that you think in doing this, Sarah sits on a toilet thing, which I think is so great, and I'm going to, everybody, follow that Instagram account right now. It's so important. What are uh, some, anytime, what are some other things um, that, you think we need to do in bathrooms to make them more accessible? Um, so I love when there's a hook that is at wheelchair user height um, so that we can actually hang our bags on them or take our backpacks off and like access our supplies. Um, having a little shelf is really, really helpful. I like when the toilet paper isn't super high and I don't hit my head on it. Um, when I'm being transferred, because that's never fun. Oh, yeah, that's something I never thought of before. Yeah, so I, I have to be lifted to and from the toilet, um, and there is, like, a video of how my mom transfers me somewhere on that page. Um, but, it like, if the toilet paper dispenser is at a really bad height, I often, like, just get whacked in the head. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, it's fine, it's fine. Well, I mean, it's fine until one day you get a concussion because you were trying to get... <laughs> Don't let Sarah get concussed on the toilet, folks. Put, put the toilet paper dispenser in a place where people won't get hurt. Like, yeah, I just think that there's so many things. People don't consider that when you're disabled, you need another person in the room, maybe more than one person in the room to help you. So all of this stuff has to be accounted for. Yeah. Recently, I went to Chicago with um, some of my friends, and uh, none of them can lift me independently and we didn't want to bring a Hoyer lift. So we were like, eh, let's just do two-person transfers. It'll be fine. And some of the bathrooms we were in, like, I truly, like, shout out to Hannah and Mary because they did some serious acrobats. Hey, Hannah. Hey, Mary. It's good to have friends that, like, 
are willing to do that craziness with you because it is it's first of all it's hard to find somebody who wants to like try that adventure and secondly to try to find somebody who won't hurt themselves when they're trying to help you is also super hard right that was what i was most worried about i was like guys like yeah we can go to chicago but please like don't kill yourselves trying to take care of me for a weekend i mean that i mean that's why like i'm and i said it on the show a few times i'm dying to go on a road trip with like a bunch of sexy gay men cough cough anybody who wants to do that when this pandemic is lifted let me know but i always i'm always worried about what if they can't lift me what if they hurt themselves and then what do we do well, right, because you're just like, well, shit, can't do the rest of the road trip. Guess we're just going to go to the ER now. Yeah, pretty much. And, I, you know, you, you don't want to be the reason that your friend, like, hurt their back. Right? Oh, gosh, that's the worst. And I have been the reason my friends have hurt their backs before. And it's, like, not a great feeling. And it's like, they don't want to make you feel bad, but then they hurt, so you feel bad. So you're just like, oh, no. Yep. Um. Okay, so I asked you to come on Quarantine and Chill part two because of well a lot of us are in self-isolation and a lot of us are disabled during this pandemic and a lot of us are not being heard in this crazy time and so that's why i'm doing this series because i really think disabled voices need to be elevated especially right now and yours is one that i really wanted to get your perspective on all this stuff so my question to you is what did you first think when you heard of COVID-19 as a disabled person? Well, at first I was like, that's definitely going to stay in China, right? Like, our country is going to be smarter than, I don't know what I was thinking, honestly. Uh, so once I heard that it came to America and then, like, was in my state, I pretty quickly was like, okay, this is going to be a lot like H1N1, but a lot worse. Um, And in 2009, I took myself out of school and did all of my classes remotely um, so that I wouldn't get that virus because of implication it had on your lungs. I actually had a friend who got H1N1 and ended up in the hospital for nine months and is now on a vent because... He um, didn't have the lung capacity to be able to wean off the vent after getting the infection. So super scary. Yeah. So once it once it came to Missouri, I was like, all right, I am leaving work and not coming back. So I packed up my desk and um, filled out my reasonable accommodations request. And like, fortunately, everyone was super understanding. Um, I was like, yes, go get out of here, stay safe. Um, but I was like, I just really didn't want to do it all again. I was like, man, I did this once. I don't want to have to do this for a second time. Like, I haven't I haven't even done it once. So, like, this whole thing is a really new experience for me of, like, even though I'm really well-versed in kind of spending a lot of time by myself and I'm really well-versed in being, in finding ways to entertain myself and I know how to do all those things, but this whole, like, the world is shutting down, what do you do thing is a whole new thing for me so when you said you had experience I was like wow that's like you must feel you must feel both prepared and like really upset yeah I I really wish people were taking social distancing a little bit more seriously right Uh, I saw your I I saw your I saw the post the other day and I was like fucking good someone has to say it so like I copied what you did 
And I put it on my social media too because I was like, someone needs to do that. Yeah, like I really hope a lot of other people with disabilities continue to like copy that and sub in their own information because it's a message that's so important. We need to stay home so that people who are vulnerable or who are elderly, like we have to look out for each other. Take this seriously. Like really, Uh, like really seriously. Like not, and and we're seeing it on social media and we're kind of, all of us are making light of it a little bit because we're all scared, right? But really, like we have to be, take it so much more seriously than we are right now. Yeah. I mean, if someone with a disability gets this, it will likely kill them or dramatically change their life yeah. and I think just I mean yeah we're making jokes like we have to make jokes or else we're just gonna cry and die and that's not gonna be good <laughs> but like we gotta take it seriously or else our lives are just gonna be completely turned upside down forever yeah. not just for a few months yeah completely like I- I'm okay to, ha- to hunger down for a few months I'm not okay to hunger down for a few years because people did in social distance exactly um so uh, let's talk a little bit more about covid and your 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 disability sma how do you think covid contracting covid19 would impact your experience as a disabled person both physically and mentally like how do you think it would if you got this what do you think would happen to you um well i would definitely go in the hospital um pretty quickly. Anytime I get a fever, I have to go in and be admitted um, and get an IV right away because I just, my body just can't handle it. Um, I, every time I get an upper respiratory infection, my life is pretty much put on hold. Um, In January, I got a cold that triggered my asthma and I was homesick for three weeks doing pretty intensive breathing treatments. It took about 45 minutes, three times, no, every three hours for three weeks. Um, Every, so you would have to wake up at like, wow. Yeah. Shit. So waking up in the middle of the night to do that airway clearance that takes about 30, 45 minutes and then during the daytime, literally every three hours. So like I would get up at six, do the treatment, then again at nine, then again at noon, then again at three, then again at six, and then before I went to bed at nine and then a couple times in the middle of the night and it's exhausting. Yeah, you, so, you can't sleep. No, and you're trying to like recover from an illness, so you need sleep, but you're you're so busy doing breathing treatments that you can't you can't do it. And I also think it would really negatively affect my mental health. Um, you know, I have anxiety and other things, and I'm just you know I'm kind of a mess. Um, Me too. Hey, time, what up? Let's be a mess together. Hey. Yes. Uh, you know, last time when I was sick, I really like noticed how much my mental health like just took a sharp decline and I was like I can't like I don't want to let that happen again because I just it's not fun no it's really it's you know people don't understand the 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 fact that mental health supports are not accessible to many people but particularly they're not accessible to disabled people with complex disabilities because of all the things we just talked about and cost and time and accessibility and all those things so when our mental health declines we have nowhere to go except to each other or social media yep yeah so, and i'm like so fortunate that my mental health professional um 
will actually see me via Zoom and do video calls with me. So, you know, I've been able to keep that up while I'm in isolation, but it's not the same as like going to her office, um, you know. Yeah. And looking in someone's eyeballs and being like, here's how I really feel about this. Right, right. And like, she's amazing. And like, she actually listens to your podcast because um, I recommended it to her. And- oh, cool. Yeah, she's fabulous and, like, really gets the whole disability thing. So I feel very, very fortunate because there's so many mental health professionals that just don't get it. Well, thanks, Sarah's mental health professional. Um, If you want to come on the show and talk about mental health and disability supports with me, I'd be more than happy to do that because it's really important. So let me know, Sarah's mental health professional. Maybe you can pass my contact along. Yeah, for sure. Awesome. Um... Okay, so we're we're still on uh, quarantine and chill. We're gonna we're gonna ask some more quarantine questions because why not? We're here. Uh, so, Sarah, what is one thing about the pandemic that really scares you the most as a disabled person? Today, it's the lack of ventilators. Um, every single day, I have been like terrified about something new. Um, but today, just like really thinking about the lack of ventilators that hospitals have is just like appalling to me. And like, if I get this and need a vent, are they going to have one for me or are they just going to like watch me die? And is my family just going to be advocating for me to get a vent that they don't even have? Fuck, that's really scary. Like, the, what you just said, so powerful what you just said. Are they just going to sit and watch me die? Like, fuck. And yeah. You, like, that's a reality. That, oh, the shit. Yeah, wow. like, we're laughing about it because we have to laugh. Or because. It's really <laughs> scary. Yeah, like, like, that's, like, I'm not laughing about what you said. I'm laughing because it's, it's so real that it's terrible. Like, it's so real that it's surreal. Yeah. Shit. Um. Well, that scares me too. Like, I'm scared of, I'm scared of going to the hospital. I'm scared of going to any medical office right now because you just don't know. And I've said this a little bit on social media since it all broke. I'm really afraid of going to the hospital because on a good day when there isn't a pandemic, they don't know how to take care of us as disabled people already. So I'm afraid to go there when there's a big problem like this. Yeah, it's already hard enough to advocate while you're inpatient and get the, get the you know, pressure relief and everything that you need, um, disability related, and then like I can't even imagine like being an inpatient while they're overrun with like coronavirus. Like my worry is that I would die not because of the virus, but because of the ineptitude of the hospital staff. Yeah, and, and I'm not saying that they're all inept. I'm saying there's a huge systemic problem when it comes to the medical community and disability. We all know this, but in times where we're overrun, those inequalities are glaringly obvious to all of us with disabilities, and that's what's scary. Yeah. That puts me, like, I've thought a couple times about going to the doctor to be like, hey, can we talk about this? My doctor literally emailed me last night and was like, don't stay home. So, okay. So okay. Like, it's it's really scary. Yeah, it's it's not good. It's, it's just very terrifying, the whole thing. The, like, and that's why I'm glad that we have d- 
disabled people especially have social media to kind of talk, just talk to each other, to just have scary conversations about stuff we're scared about. Yeah. And this is, the social media aspect is, like, so much better now than it was in 2009 during H1N1. And I think that's really going to help us a lot. Um, I don't know. Did you have to isolate at all during H1N1? I didn't. I, I, I don't. Yeah, I know. I definitely didn't. Um, okay. But I was advised during the SARS thing to just be careful. Yeah. So I had just gotten over a really bad pneumonia. So I think that might have been like part of the reason why they had me isolate. Um, but like there was, I mean, we just had like very old YouTube, very old Twitter. Yeah. I don't even know if I had Facebook back then. I didn't even think Twitter was a thing then. So I, I joined Twitter in 2008. Oh, was it? Because I thought it yeah. didn't come out until 2009. Maybe I'm. Maybe I just don't know how. When they released it. Anyway, Twitter, you're awesome, but you could still do better. So, figure it out, Twitter. Because. Um, yes. Wow. Uh, <laughs> um, okay. So my next question for you is: So, Sarah, is there any part of this, this kind of pandemic and all this stuff that's happening right now? I feel really kind of comforted in one way because as a disabled person I kind of feel like everybody's finally on trip time yeah I completely agree it's kind of like haha bitches like now you see what our life is like um and I really really hope that the accommodations that organizations are putting in place for folks to work from home stick um I really hope they become permanent they should just become permanent yeah, they really need to become permanent because, like, that will just help so many more people, like, stay healthy, be able to participate in work and the community, and just, uh, we just need to keep keep a little bit of social distancing around. It's, I mean, it's, unfortunately, it's our new reality now, and we have to really, uh, we have to, and I've been saying this from the beginning, and I'll say it till the end of this, too, listen to... Listen to disabled people during this pandemic. They are the people that can help you the most right now. We know how to social distance. We know how to isolate. We know how to entertain ourselves. We know how to deal with grief, loss, and fear way more than all the rest of you, probably. So, like, please listen to us. Yep, and we definitely know how to work from home. Like, we are the we are the masters of, like, oh, I can't come in, but I can do that report on my computer in my house where I'm comfortable. Yep. So, Yeah. Um, I, and I also really enjoy, like, slowing down, and I think that, I like, I, I like that everybody is kind of on this weird timeline where nothing really matters, and, and like, time is a weird illusion that we've created for ourselves, because it just feels nice to kind of stop. Is there anything that you're kind of doing now that time has slowed down that you couldn't do before or didn't do before? Well, I brought at least 14 books home to read during uh, this little pandemic, so... Um, I'm looking forward to doing a lot of reading for fun, which I don't always get to do because I'm so busy with work and just other volunteer obligations. What kind of stuff do you like to read? Um, so I'll read pretty much anything with words on it. So, (laughs) um, I range from like sci-fi fantasy to, um, nonfiction about, you know, like a good autobiography, really anything. See, I knew, I had a feeling you were into sci-fi fantasy. I was like, I bet you she likes that. And then when you said that, I was like, yep, confirmed. Yep, yeah. 
not I'm not like a super hardcore nerd, but I definitely I enjoy a good like fantasy novel. Yeah, a good like a good like take yourself away from my life and go into somewhere new for a couple hours. Yep. Um so I was gonna we kind of we kinda of touched on this a minute ago, but I wanna ask again, do you do you think that the COVID nineteen pandemic will put policies in place that will end ableism once and for all? I hope so, but I don't know how realistic that is. Uh, I think our policies might be less ableist, but I don't think people are going to be any less ableist, if that makes sense. Oh, I totally get it. I think I think there's a huge difference between writing a policy and enacting what the policy says. Yeah, yeah. And I think the policies are going to do a really good job of you know, planning for this to happen again in the future so that it's not such a panic. Um, and if they're written correctly, um, they will be able to apply to people with disabilities throughout their normal lives. Um, but I really don't know if we're going to be able to get people to understand disability and shift their beliefs about disability away from the stigma of people of we're not valuable and I think that I think that that's going to be the harder harder thing to do and I'm not sure this is going to do it that's the part about all the stuff that really makes me feel sad when I hear people say things and I and you know what I'll be honest I said it too when the thing first started happening I would say stuff like oh it's just it's just older people or people who are immunocompromised and I realized very quickly what I was saying was out of fear and was like wrong and was like not appropriate and it was me trying to find a way to comfort myself because I was scared. But when you see yeah. when you see how quickly like people were like, "Oh no, that's horrible!" I was like, "Okay, I gotta stop. I gotta." And then I kind of did a deep dive into what the disability community was saying, and I was like, "Oh wow, yep, gotta switch that narrative." Yeah, I I definitely think that like just that. Oh well, it'll only hurt the elderly and immunocompromised. Like, yeah, but so many of us are immunocompromised and that's not even people with visible disabilities. That's someone with diabetes or a heart condition or really anything, asthma. Yeah, yeah, completely. And I think, I just think we have to find better ways to comfort ourselves. And one of the ways we can do that is by saying stuff like, you know what, let me check on my immunocompromised friend. Let me check on my disabled friend. Let me do something for them. Let me help them with their groceries. Let me do something... So they feel better, not, oh, it's just going to affect them, so it doesn't matter. Of course it matters. Yep. Um, so one of the things you mentioned in your questionnaire for this weird, cool episode series that I'm doing is you mentioned having to move back with your parents and to cancel your personal support workers. Can yeah. you Can you, can we pause for a second? Somebody just knocked on my door. Absolutely. Hang on. Sarah, sorry about that. Somebody knocked on my door. Um, so you mentioned having to move back with move back in with your parents and to cancel all your personal support workers. Can you share with us what that's been like? Yeah, so I think we're on day like five or six, so it hasn't been bad so far. But it's definitely an adjustment having to have my mom be um, my full time PCA. I actually my stepdad John went to LA last week because. Um, for work and so he is currently in quarantine in our basement um, 
for oh, no. the next week and a half just to make sure he's not a asymptomatic carrier. Yeah. So it is me and mom, um, and she is being such a trooper, um, taking care of me and doing all the transfers and lifts and everything. Um, we're for a little bit of context, we're about the same sized human. So it's a it's a lot um, on her. So and she can't really lift you because you're literally the same size of person. Oh, she still lifts me. Um, it's it's not really a pretty transfer, but it gets done. Um, Can you just because I'm also disabled? And I know what those I know what those weird like those weird transfer dances are like. What is the transfer like for you? Yeah, so I I can't like bear any weight really, so I have to be scooped and picked up like a baby. Um, so so kind of like a fireman's lift, but yeah, not, like so, not like a bridesman carry. Yeah, yeah basically like a bride being carried and so it's like you know i'm like falling out of her arms and like we plop down on the toilet or plop down on my chair in the bed and it's just we have a tracking system in Hoyer, but like we don't like using it because it takes so long and uh she says that it's almost as much work as just lifting me wow i'm like i'm, I'm picturing the transfer because i've been in those transfers i know I know the stress on a parent and on you when you're both trying to do the transfer and you're both trying to stay calm and you're both trying to be, like, cordial with each other also when you just want to get the shit done, but you're like, oh, God, we got to do this again. It's yep. so stressful for both parties. Yeah, and I'm I'm very, very low-toned, so I describe myself as a 100-pound sack of potatoes. Um, if, if you kind of imagine lifting that, that's how I am to lift, so... It's definitely not an easy task by no, any no. stretch. No, no. So you're literally you're literally like a human sack of potatoes. Yes, a very very cute, very sweet sack of potatoes. Oh, I am sure you are. No question there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so how does your mom feel about you being home? Does she feel like that? It's does she feel safer that you're home? Yeah, we we definitely both feel better that I'm home. Um, she was the one who was like, I don't really want your PCAs or nurses coming in. Um, she had me call my doctor just to get confirmation that we should cancel the nurses. But she was like, I just don't want them in our house. Like, we can't control what they're doing. Like, I can't make sure that they're staying isolated. And then a few of my attendants have kids and it's just like, it would be a whole mess and just way too uncertain and way too many germs that we don't know about. Yeah, completely. Do you feel in doing this and making this kind of drastic shift, and of course you had to and I, I totally get it, but do you feel like any kind of loss of independence? Do you feel, are you worried that it like this could go on for months and months and your whole sort of self-identity piece would change? Yeah, so... Um, when I was here in January, when I was sick, I definitely, on week two and a half, week three, really started struggling with, like, I don't, I'm never going to get back to normal. Like, I was really struggling with it. Am I even doing this independent living thing right? Um, so I'm, I'm really worried about how, like, as this progresses and the longer I'm here, like, feeling, feeling less independent and feeling more... I don't want to say, like, burdensome, because I know I'm not a burden, but, like, but yeah, more like a pain in the ass, you know? Yeah, like, I, and I think it's interesting what you said there. Like, we all know we're not burdens, but I think it's important 
to recognize that due to internalized ableism and all the things that we've been fed about our bodies by society for the, for years and years, this idea of being a burden never goes away. It, even if you lessen it and you like know that it's wrong and you know it's not real, it does never go away, never. Yeah, and, and it gets more pronounced the longer you're in one place with one caregiver. Yeah, yeah, and I think... We also have to. I just wish that we were, that there was also supports for caregivers during this time because they're going through a lot of stuff that people don't realize. Yeah, yeah, they really are. I mean, I feel so bad for like my nurses who that's their full time job is taking care of me overnight, and like they've essentially lost their job. And I don't know like what the the company I use to like get the nurses, like I don't know what my provider's doing to compensate them. And it's really stressful. And now mom isn't like sleeping through the night and she's doing all of my work and like it's just it's so much. That's it something like I just really wish that the governments like they're all the governments right now are are, are doing all these surpluses and all this like emergency funding. But I haven't heard a government yet say Hey, let's do something specifically for disabled people right now. Yeah, no, and I don't think they're going to. I think that, I mean, I wish they would for sure, but it it's not realistic to expect that of our government um, just because of the percentage of people with significant disabilities that need PCAs and support workers. Like, there's just not enough of us for it to be a priority for them right now. Yeah. Um, okay, well, I was going to ask you, what about your disabilities makes you high risk for COVID? But we kind of did that already. So I want to just jump to the next part of this question, which is, what do you think the best thing for you, the most coolest thing about social distancing for you as a disabled person right now? Um, honestly, probably this. Um, it's <laughs> really cool. Definitely never thought I'd be on disability after dark, so... Oh, wow. I love how you talk like it's a big podcast. It's literally just me in my room being like, hey. (laughs) Yeah, I know, but it's pretty dang exciting. Well, that that warms my quarantined heart right now. That's very nice. Thank you. Um, uh, Okay, so because we are a sex podcast, I do Mm want to ask you just generally a sexy question. About sex and disability. So we're going to move away from COVID-19 for a minute. Thank goodness. And we're going yeah. to talk about how does your disability impact your dating and your, your sex life? Oh, yeah. Um, so I definitely have had the experience of no one wants to date the girl in the wheelchair. Um, and that's pretty much my general um, general experience you know I'm on tinder I'm on all of the dating apps I think that a lot of guys just really are not into um cute sacks of potatoes yeah you know I don't know why um but they're not so (laughs) yeah but I shockingly um I have been talking to someone recently so that's pretty exciting and he seems like a real trooper and is hanging on with this whole like I'm in social isolation until I don't know when so um pretty excited for that possibility of a something oh nice and is this something is this something like do you think it could lead to something cool well you don't know yet but like maybe 
Yeah, maybe if we ever get out of social distancing and get to actually meet. Right? Like that's that's the hardest part. I had I had some sexy dates lined up for like the next week or two and I literally had to and they were both from the States and I had to be like, You're not coming into Canada, you can't come here So like we had to cancel and I'm like, Oh like I'm really I'm I'm pissed off because who knows when I'll get to have sex again. Yeah. Oh, that sucks. And also, yeah. like, I'm, I have a catheter right now, so it's like, I definitely can't have sex right now anyway, because I put the catheter in as, like, a protective measure, because, like, that way no one has to touch me. That's a really good idea. And I, yeah, and I would, I would really recommend for any complexly disabled people listening who, I know catheters aren't fun, they're not enjoyable, I get that part, but if you want to reduce the risk of infection... Of any sort, you should put it in for at least a month until this thing blows over. Yeah, I think that's a really good idea. I have never used a catheter or anything, but um, if that's something that is, like, a possibility for you, definitely look into it. Yeah, because, like, yeah, so what I was saying was, like, I was supposed to have have sexy dates, and I had to be like, I can't, and then also I can't, because, like, because, like, because the catheter, nobody want. I don't want to have sex with the catheter, and that's weird. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> that no. would be not fun. No. Um, those are all the questions I had for you. Do you have any for me? Um, what's your favorite part about doing this podcast? <laughs> My favorite part about doing this podcast, honestly, is talking to people like you and doing cool stuff like let's turn this quarantine into like a real like, into, into something that people will consume. And, to like, being able to go to L.A. a couple of weeks ago before all the world turned sideways and, like, be nominated for an award for the show that I make in my bedroom, that's really cool. Yeah, that was really cool. I really enjoyed, like, following along with your social medias on that trip. It was, I mean, L.A. is not accessible in the least, but it was really cool to be able to take my mom to an award show for, again, for a show that I make in my bedroom and that I, that I didn't expect to go past like 10 episodes and now we're on like episode almost 200 and like it's so weird it's wild i love the internet so much it's literally the greatest thing ever um you're amazing and i want to talk to you for like for a bunch after i hit off but sarah how do people get a hold of you how can they follow your work how can they support you Yeah, so um, I am on Twitter and Instagram at schwags14. Those are my personal accounts. And then I'm on Instagram and Facebook at Sarah Sits on a Toilet. And if you are so inclined to Venmo me for um, Sarah Sits on the Toilet work, it is at schwags14. Yeah, you all know you... You all know you can, if you can right now. I know we're going through, like, weird pandemic money times. But if you have a couple dollars to spare, please send it to di- disabled creators like Sarah. Because, because, because. Not enough people well, are, are doing stuff to support disabled creators. So, yes. Yeah, and if I want to go anywhere, I have to pay at least 10 bucks to hire a PCA to drive me around. So. <laughs> what? Really? Yeah, so my private pay rate is 10 bucks an hour with a minimum of, like, one hour. So, you know... It's really, it's really upsetting that in these in twenty twenty we still have to consider, like, private pay rates for somebody to go out with, like to take you out to go to the store. I mean, I get it; they should get paid, but like, there's got to be a better way. 
Yeah, that's honestly a whole other podcast. Yeah, I might I might bring you back on just for because <laughs> I want to talk about that. Um, and you were a really fun guest, and I I like I I feel like I'm gonna invite you back on for some other thing because. Oh, uh, thank you. I just enjoy. I really enjoy talking to you, and thank you for taking the time and coming on Quarantine and Chill Part Two with Sarah Schweig on Disability After Dark. Sarah, you're great. I'm going to cut off the recorder part of the interview, but we're going to talk for a few minutes after, hopefully. Um, You're awesome, and we'll talk to you soon. Uh, Thank you. Thanks. Bye. Bye. All right, friends. So that's my my number two episode of Quarantine and Chill, where I talk to disabled people about social distancing, disability, and everything in between during this pandemic, and we just have a chat. And I want to provide as many of these episodes for you as possible, along with the regular episodes we're already producing, because I think this content is critical right now, and it's important that we as a disabled community come together and we have disabled people help bring us together. So I want to use my platform to do that. If you are disabled or immunocompromised and you're going through stuff during COVID-19 and you want to be a part of Quarantine and Chill on Disability After Dark, you can email me directly at disabilityafterdark at gmail.com. Let me know you want to be a part of this. Tell me a little bit about your story, and let's get you on the show to talk about all of these things and how they affect you. Um, that'd be great. If you want to follow my work during this pandemic and during and just follow my work generally, because you all should want to, if you want to do that, you can go to Andrew underscore Gerza on Twitter and Instagram. You can follow all my work there. Uh, you can also go to my website, www.andrewgerza.com, where you can see some of the stuff that I've done. The website needs... Definitely needs to be redone, but I'm working on that. Don't worry about it. Um, you can go there. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at DisAftDarkPod. You can follow it there. I do, I do polls there. I do questions there about the show, stuff like that. But thank you so much for listening. And if you want to support the show at all, I know we're going through weird times right now. If you want to support the show at all, you can go to Patreon.com slash disability after dark and support in whatever way monetarily you can this would help me right now as a disabled person just make it through this, these uncertain times and i would appreciate it but if you can't spread the word about the show leave a review do whatever you can to let people know the show is out there this show is fully independently produced by me here in my bedroom it's award nominated and uh thank you so much for coming back each week it really means a lot so I hope you got comfy, cozy, and quarantined, and now you get to hear the cop car, and now that the ambulance has gone away, I can finish the outro. But uh, thank you so much for listening, and <laughs> man, that police car keeps... There we go, okay. it's. I think it's passed. So, thank you so much for listening to this, this bonus episode of Disability After Dark, and we'll be back soon with more stuff like this and more cool things. Thanks for listening. I'm Andrew Gerza. Bye. Copyright Notice. Disability After Dark was presented, created, and produced by Andrew Gerza and Cripple Content Creations, with music by Chris Ujiuji. Any and all materials, including graphics, audio recordings, and music, are property of the owner and cannot be distributed or used without express permission. Copyright 2020.